Hey guys, welcome back to The Well with Shan, and I'm so pleased today to have with us Becky Griggs. I knew her as Becky Cordes. Now she's Becky Griggs, um, married and a mom. And our topic today is going to be postpartum depression. And uh, Becky is going to be speaking to us about that topic. But before we get there, would you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and what life looks like outside of momming. Outside of momming. (laughs) Um, Well, right now I am a Montessori preschool teacher. I work with uh, three, four, and five-year-olds. And I have been married um, to an amazing man for, let's see, eight years. We just celebrated our eight-year wedding anniversary. Awesome. Um, I'm doing online school and parenting and... We have, a, we have a full plate right now. Aww. It's good. It's really good, yeah. but it's full. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I know you're trying to balance all of that. Quick fun fact. Has your husband told you that he and his mother and brother used to babysit my two younger children? Yes. <laughs> Back in the day. Yes. They have fun stories. Uh, he, Anthony's great. He's amazing. Yeah. He's so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. And um, you have a degree in social work? Uh, exceptional education. Exceptional education. Yeah. Right. And that's what's fueling this possible certification in Montessori. Yeah. Teaching. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love teaching in, in, in any capacity, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so great. Well, um, and you're a Spanish speaker? Yes. Yeah. You've got lots of gifts. <laughs> <laughs> So I like to share all that because that gives us a little picture of pre-motherhood. Yeah. Uh, some of some of the picture of life. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of give us a feel as we're starting to to walk into this topic of um, getting pregnant. You know, those nine months, just kind of the the pre yeah kind of thing. Have you did you ever struggle with depression? prior to, to getting pregnant? I, I had, I had struggled with depression, depression and anxiety before getting pregnant. Um, it was always, I always felt like it was manageable though. Um, I saw a counselor in, while I was in college and, um, I felt like between diet and exercise and, um, in my relationship with the Lord, there were things that I could do to, that really, that I could, where I could manage it. Mm-hmm. Um, after having a baby, that was a different, that was, that was a different story. A whole different ball game. Not yeah. so manageable. Not, no. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so there was some of that there, yeah. but it never felt paralyzing. It no. never felt like it shut you down. No. You, you could keep going and. Yeah. And be okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And um, what were your thoughts in going toward, you know, getting pregnant and, and yeah. those nine months toward well, motherhood? Okay. So let me let me start by saying um, we, before we got pregnant with my son Juan, um, we actually got pregnant um it was about almost exactly three months before I got pregnant with Juana. I got pregnant. Um, and we lost the baby like two months. About two months after. Um, so eight, ten weeks. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember going to the doctor's office and I was like, we had found out we were pregnant for so so excited um and I just like the entire time I was waiting for that first doctor's appointment like I just had so much joy um I like you you, when you when I got pregnant it was like I could see all the things like like 50 years in advance of like the Christmases and the birthdays and all these things and the timeline and like oh he'll be this this age when 
at Christmas time and we can do this and get them this kind of things and, and I thought all of these things and um, my very first doctor's appointment and I went and you know they told me yes you are pregnant for sure and um, I had told them I was like well I just have a few questions I've been spotting, um, and, uh, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about that? When does that supposed to end? And, um, they said, we think actually just the amount of spotting that you're telling us is happening. We should go ahead and do an ultrasound. And so, um, we did the ultrasound and that very first appointment and, um, I could tell right away that something was wrong because they weren't saying anything and then they said they needed to get the doctor and, and then she told me um, that I might need to brace myself for a miscarriage but they couldn't tell me for sure but it didn't look good um, and so I got in the car and called my husband and my mom and I was just bawling um, and a week later we lost the baby um and that was really hard um it was really hard like physically and emotionally um that when I felt physical pain I knew it was because I was losing the baby um it was really hard um God was with me though um and that's like the the thread and the whole story is like he was with me and um and he allowed he allowed suffering but he was with me and that that's kind of like the overall theme of just from start to present this theme of like him knitting my heart to his um and like every day depending on him every day I needed him I couldn't make it one day without him um and so so that was right before we got pregnant with Juan um and do you think you were still grieving then um that even though you got pregnant again this there was still this loss right yeah 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 and so what happened was I didn't know that we could get pregnant so quickly. It was, I had no idea. It took us a while to get pregnant the first time. And so the thought never even occurred to me that we could get pregnant again so soon. Um, And so three months after um, we got pregnant with Juan, and I I remember um, like the feeling was different. Because when I first got pregnant with Juan, like, there wasn't the same joy. Like, Mm -hmm. instead of joy, it was fear. Mm -hmm. Um, And I told myself, like, I'm not even going to, like, let myself think that I'm pregnant until, like, I see his heartbeat and hear his heartbeat. And when I I see that, then then I will let myself feel joy. But when I saw his heartbeat and I heard his heartbeat, like, I still felt fear. Like, it was like, I knew how easy it was to lose a baby and how real that was. And I, after losing the first baby, I remember talking to so many other people that brought me comfort and, and hope, but that had shared their story. And I started realizing how common it was and how many women go through miscarriages. I had no idea that... Mm-hmm. The, I had no idea of the numbers. Um, and I felt this constant fear. Um, and I knew of people that had lost their babies later in pregnancy. And so this fear was always hanging over me. Um, and that was when my struggle with anxiety um, uh, started amping up. Um, I started having panic attacks um, when I was around six months pregnant. Um, I would wake up in the middle of the night um, and couldn't go back to sleep. I was just paralyzed with fear. I would wake Anthony up like 
I'm not going to be okay if something happens to the baby. I'm not okay. And struggling to breathe, like all of these things. Um, and that whole pregnancy was marked with fear. Um, I remember like having baby showers and, um, not opening, not, not taking the gifts out of the bags because I was thinking I'm going to have to return it. And it was mercy. So even to that degree, feeling like if you got a gift, the the thought was, I'm going to have to return this gift. And it was, in some ways it was, it was, it was like fear. Like, yes, there, there is, there is still a possibility of this happening. But I, but like the fear and anxiety got out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't manage it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would talk to people, but it was like, it didn't, an outsider looking in, it didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Like, you're you're healthy. Your baby is healthy. Like, Mm -hmm. your ultrasounds are healthy. But I couldn't internalize it because it was like I hadn't fully recovered from the first loss. Yes. Um... And, and, I, and I wonder if, if, like, I had, like, almost like a postpartum from my first that they got carried into the second, like, mm-hmm. pregnancy. And um, that's a great point because, uh, you know, grief and depression are, are really close cousins. I mean, they can look a lot alike. And, yeah. And so maybe that, that was what was happening there for you. Yeah. I didn't realize this part of your story, but that, you know, that had been building and those emotional waves were, were coming through the entire pregnancy. Yeah. You know, for you. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of the theme of the pregnancy with Juan, even though like at doctor's appointments, he was a healthy baby. Um, his position was good. Um, like his numbers looked good. He was he was chunky. Like they kept telling me he's a big baby. You're gonna have a big baby. Um, but other of everything looked good. But I couldn't I couldn't squash my fear. Yeah. All of that didn't squash it. Um, up until like the night before, a, a few one or two nights before um, he was born, um, I remember turning in the middle of the night and I had this horrible pain I was a few days past my due date and um I I felt this pain so bad I couldn't breathe Mm. um and I woke Anthony up and I was like I'm scared I can't like I couldn't get deep breaths in um and I couldn't feel him move um and so I we called the I called my my midwife after hours line and someone called me back and said okay you got to give yourself like I forget the time it was like two hours you you want to feel 10 kicks in two hours he could just be he could just be sleeping right Mm -hmm. now and so like those two hours felt horrifically long but we felt 10 movements in two hours um they said we think he's okay but come in at first thing in the morning and we'll get you an ultrasound so I came in in the morning I'm like maybe four or five days past my due date and they're like your amniotic fluid is really low um and you're gonna your your baby's really big um we think that we should induce you um which is not what I wanted but I was I I felt like they were you know for for the both of us, the baby and I, felt like they were trying to do the best thing. So mm-hmm. we went ahead and did that. Okay. I was in labor for a total of like 23 hours. Oh, mercy. Um, and around like towards the end of it, um, I started getting really sick. Um, They had broken my water in hopes that it would help speed things up. Um, I started getting a fever and vomiting. And and within like an hour, I went from like no fever to like, it was like 102.9 or something Mm. fever. Mm -hmm. And I started vomiting. And they said, um, Mm. we don't think you're strong enough to push the baby out. Um, It had been, like I said, like 23 hours at this point. Um, We had tried 
to get a uh, epidural around like maybe 20 hours into the labor and um, it didn't work. They said around 10% of cases um, the epidural won't work. Um, so we tried the epidural, it didn't work. Um, I don't know what it's like to have and be in labor without Pitocin, but Pitocin was rough. It was rough. Oh, that's what they say. Um, it was rough with no like pain management. Um, and around 23 hours, we I finally was like, okay, um, they they they. I, I think I think the thing that pushed me over the edge. They said, you're really sick. You could have an infection. If you have an infection, it could spread to the baby, and it could be bad. Okay. And so I said, okay, you were, I, you were I surrendered, to whatever. I surrendered to that, even yeah. though I, I really did not want a uh, C-section. Um, and so we went, in, we went into the operating room to have a C-section and um, they took about 45 minutes to get the epidural in. Um, they said I had um, pregnancy scoliosis, which I don't know if is an official term or just like my spine, spine was like compressed from having carrying a huge baby for nine months and they had like 12 there was 12 epidural attempts 12 Good failed attempts night. to get the epidural in um and because i was having a c-section they like they had to give me some you know they had they had to they had to <laughs> get the pain like find a way to mask the pain somehow um anyways so we have the i we have the c-section Juan is born, um, have this, like, really sweet moment that I remember, um, Anthony, they gave, after they wrapped the baby, after they wrapped Juan up, they gave him to Anthony, and Anthony brought him over to me to, um, to look at me, so I could see him, and he brought him, like, really close to my face, and, and Juan, like, stuck out his, his tongue and, like, licked my nose. Oh! <laughs> it was really sweet, um, precious yeah that was like it was such a sweet moment um and then after that they took Juan to the NICU to try to take care of him make sure he was okay um and then I all I remember after that was like they my blood pressure started bottoming out um I remember looking over at this screen and it was like 53 over 35 Whoa. Um, like this nurse ran and got something and came over and like stabbed me in the leg with something and I was coming in and out of consciousness um, had a friend with me that while Anthony was taking the baby and um, I was like after, months afterwards I was like was I seeing something crazy or those numbers right she was like no those numbers are right mm. um so recovery from that was a little bit traumatic, but um, and and do you have answers around why you got so sick and why your blood pressure bottomed out and you know now what happened right there? No, I I, I know very little. I went back okay. at some point uh, and asked my midwife for like if she could give me any kind of paperwork on like if they do like I'm sure that they, they they do like notes or something she could give me that so I could just find out what happened um and that was when I what that was when I read like so-and-so attempted the epidural at this spot and this spot and it failed so-and-so then attempted the epidural at this spot and this spot and it failed and I was able to like count 12 in my head I had told Anthony I was like it was at least 10 I was like it was at least 10 attempts um which is anxiety producing in and of itself yeah yeah, I would think. Yeah, it was it was rough, and I and it was I had all I was also really dehydrated from throwing up, and they couldn't let me drink anything. And I remember this moment of like when I was like sitting over, and they were trying to put the epidural in, and it was taking so long, so long to get the epidural in, and I kept asking for water. I was like, please give me water, and they're like, we can't. We're so sorry. Um, and I had this moment of like this of like. Jesus, like, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at your face right now because it felt, everything I was feeling was just, was, was awful. Like, the stab, like, the stabs from the epidural is not pleasant, and then the dehydration was not pleasant, and the pain was not pleasant, all the things. Yes. But I had this moment of, like, Jesus, I'm, I'm looking at you, and I felt like 
I can pinpoint that moment so clear of like like he like I don't know it made me think of like how thirsty Jesus was on the cross So I guess all that to say the birth was not great, Um, Mm -hmm. but Juan was healthy and fine, and that was, that was beautiful. So my body took a beating, but he was okay, praise God. It did indeed. But you had not just had suffered a kind of a physical beating, but there had been quite an emotional beating for months. Yeah. Prior to his birth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had a lot, I had a lot of hope and expectation that like, once he was born and I could see him, that like, that was going to go away. Mm. Um, but what ended up happening is, um, I started having trouble sleeping and, um, right, right away, immediately I started having trouble sleeping. Um, I guess I shouldn't even say trouble sleeping. Um, Right away following his birth, I stopped sleeping. Whoa. Um, completely stopped I completely sleeping. stopped sleeping. I went four days straight without sleeping, not not two minutes, in, nothing. Um, wow. And we thought initially that it was anxiety. It was all anxiety because I was having panic attacks and major anxiety Mm -hmm. and I was having intrusive thoughts I was having horrific thoughts um and and it made sense that it was all anxiety related Mm -hmm. what I know now that I didn't know the first like 18 months that he was alive is that um the pregnancy caused um a neurological sleep disorder um so it's called periodic limb movement disorder, um, where as I'm entering the first REM stage of sleep, my body will do a movement and it'll wake me back up. So I never get to sleep. Yes. Um, and can you say the name of that again? Periodic limb movement disorder. It's a cousin to restless legs, which people are really mm-hmm. familiar with yes. that. A lot of people with restless legs have like a little bit of periodic limb movement disorder and a lot of people with periodic limb movement disorder have a little bit of restless leg mm-hmm. um I didn't know I, I I I didn't know what was going on all I knew was I couldn't sleep um the the second the second night I for Juan's two-day doctor's appointment I talked to his pediatrician about it again we thought it was mostly anxiety I was like I think it's because I'm worried about his breathing. I kept thinking that there was something wrong with his breathing, that something didn't sound right, and I was just fearful. Um, she listened to him. She was like, I think he's fine. I don't hear anything. Um, I would try to take like video recordings of his breathing, and I would hear... I felt like I was hearing something that scared me, but no one else was hearing it. And I, to this day, still don't know if... Because I spent more time with him, I would hear things, mm-hmm. and I couldn't catch it exactly with the video, or if it was, like, just, I was so fearful. Um, and on some kind of hyper alert. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Um, hmm. But the third night of no sleeping, um, I think it was the fourth, the fourth night of no sleeping, I was... Um, I started crossing into this place of like, um, what's the best word for it? Where the sleep deprivation was starting to uh, affect my sanity. Mm -hmm. Um, Reality started slipping. I, um, I became severely suicidal and had made up in my mind if I go one more night without sleep like I couldn't I could not do it I said if I and that that was after being up all night like giving birth to Juan like all of these things and then I went four straight days of no sleep um I I started I started losing it um understandably and I went to my midwife and I said I'm not sleeping I haven't slept in four days um and 
she was like, okay, let me prescribe you something. She was like, you're going to get like eight hours of sleep with this. Like, um, you're going to feel great. Um, so I took it that first, she was like, start with this dose. See if you can sleep with this dose. If you can't, then you can do this dose. So that first night I tried the first dose. Um, I tried for like an hour and I couldn't sleep. The, um, then I tried the second dose. Um, and I fell asleep. I slept a total of an hour and a half. Um, and I woke up and I could not get back to sleep. So with the heavy dosage of sleep medicine, an hour and a half is all you got out of it. Is all I got. Wow. Um, and it was, it's one of those medicines that a lot of, I guess a lot of people are familiar with it. I was prescribed Ambien, Mm -hmm. which, um... I really don't like I don't like it for some people it has helped them a lot for me it was not what I needed Mm -hmm. but no one knew at the time what I what was what was really going on right um the second the second night that I took it um I slept two and a half hours um so I had been waiting from like when I took it at like maybe like nine o'clock falling asleep at like 10 woke up at 11 30 at night I had been waiting since 11.30 at night, the night before, to take this, the second time, the second night, to take it, like, 9 or 10 o'clock at night, and try to sleep, and I slept two and a half hours. And I started, I, 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 I started, I started losing sanity. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you say that, kind of describe for us what losing sanity looked like. Um... I started, like, doing things like self-harm. Um, I had, uh, horrific intrusive thoughts. Some of them made sense. Some of them did not make sense. Um, I would, when, in the middle of the night when everyone was asleep, um, I would go into the living room and I would scream into a pillow and like pull out my hair. Um, so you literally feel like I'm coming out of my skin. I, uh, I, my brain was so tortured it felt like a nightmare um, that I couldn't get out of. Bless your heart. Um, and then um, I started sleeping like between like three and five hours a night um Hmm. for the next four months I did that on the ambient on the ambient okay intermittent in 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 between those I would go like maybe 24 hours without sleep like where I would take it and it just wouldn't work I wouldn't sleep that night I might get two hours I might go 48 hours without sleep um I did that for four months um the, the entire time I was I was severely suicidal I was having suicidal thoughts almost constantly um yeah. I my my like only drive to live at that moment was to like take care of my son um we went to our church and they um uh recommended I see the, a counselor uh so I started seeing a counselor at Lighthouse um the Lighthouse Counseling Center, Mm -hmm. and she was like, we need to get you to a doctor, like, Mm -hmm. we need to, like, maybe, like, a psychiatrist, so the insurance that I had at the time was not great, I got an appointment with a psychiatrist, this was, like, three and a half months after Juan was born, and, um, it was, it was, like, the worst experience ever, um, she, went in with Anthony, told her what had been going on, um, she misdiagnosed me, and was like, I'm not gonna give you anything for sleep, because I think it's this, um, which, have, talking to other people later, they were like, there's no way it was that, it was for sure, like, anxiety and this periodic limb movement disorder, but anyways, she wouldn't give me anything for sleep, and I was like, I can't sleep on my own. I cannot sleep on my own. Mm-hmm. I was telling her that, like, 
I try, I try to nap when my baby naps, I can't nap. I try, I would try, because the medicine, I would only sleep like three hours with it, I would take the first like couple hours of the night to try to sleep on my own and then take the medicine at 1 a.m. so that I could sleep three hours and wake up. Um, I could not, I could not fall asleep on my own, um, no matter how tired I was. <laughs> um, and so I said, what happens if this doesn't work? What happens if I take this home and I go home and I don't sleep? She was like, well, you can come into the, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, where like you have, they could admit me into the hospital. Mm. She was like, but you can't take your baby with you and your breast milk will probably dry up. Um, and she was that flat. She was that about flat. It. She was that flat with me about it. Thanks for the help. Yeah. Lady. <laughs> and I had told her like, I'm struggling with suicidal thoughts. Like this, like I, you know, I had my baby with her. Like I explained to her, it, it, it was awful. Um, I came home from that appointment and I had no hope. Um, And I, um, I decided that night, like, that I would kill myself. I, I decided I would, um... Because you just didn't see how this was sustainable. I didn't, I couldn't go on the way that I was going on. I, I mean, I, like, I was harming myself regularly. I was, um, I, was, I couldn't heal from not being able to sleep because I couldn't sleep. It was, mm-hmm. the, the level, the amount of sleep that I was getting like three to five hours with intermittent days of no sleep mm-hmm. was like I couldn't handle it on top of that I had postpartum anxiety and depression right so like either of those things separately like would have would have rocked me but like That's together right. um I I had no hope um and if, if we could pause for just a moment, I, I don't know how many of our listeners are aware of, of this process, but um, I often tell my clients, like, you can take a perfectly healthy individual, no history of anxiety or depression, physically astute, and rob them of sleep, and uh, right about that fourth night, third, third to fourth night, um, no matter who it is, will start um, hallucinating yeah. or um, experiencing uh, significant psychological effects. But by day seven, um, the, the loss of reality into psychosis yeah. will happen for anybody. I mean, sleep is vital yeah. to, as you're saying, our sanity. So I, I just want to insert that, to, that this is a very complex scenario that you're describing, that sleep deprivation alone yeah. would have catapulted you into much less all these other factors that, that yeah. you're describing, right? Yeah. 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 Um. And so, so that, that is where I was. I, I had had, I know for, sh- that I know for sure I'd have had one hallucination, um, but like the intrusive thoughts and the, um, ev- all the, the, just like the, the pain in my head, um, it, 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 it was, it was, it was, it was awful. Um, and so I had decided that night after seeing that, that doctor, um, like I, I, I had no hope, and um, now looking back, I see God's hand in all these different ways. Um, but this was like a turning point where um, God intervened and was fighting on my behalf in ways that I didn't know. So that night, I wrote Anthony a suicide letter, and I came up with a plan of how to. Um, in a way that he would be out of the house and I would get Juan to someone um, that I was going to kill myself and I was going to leave him this note. Um, And I wasn't going to do it that night because I needed a couple to arrange a couple things first. Um, That was my plan. Um, And I was like, I was like set. I was set on it. I didn't know how I could get better. I didn't know how, like... I wasn't thinking straight to think through, like, now, if I could have told myself, like, go see this person, go talk to this person, 
Like, neither Anthony or I knew. We didn't know. Mm. And he knew things were bad, but he didn't know quite how bad it was. Um, As much as he was, like, present and, like, would do anything to help me. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no way anyone could have known how bad. it wasn't in your head. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there are certain things, like, I didn't exactly tell him. Um, And so... Um, he called my parents and was like, she's not doing good. And my dad called me that night and I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said something of something that gave me the message, like, hold on, hold on. And I held on, um, I held on one more night. I said, oh, hold on one more night, God. And I held on one more night. Wow. And my parents came to my house the next day. Sorry, I cry a lot. It's okay. And they brought me this brochure to a hospital in Michigan that takes women and their babies who have severe postpartum conditions. It was a Christian hospital. And they had researched this? No, my aunt lives in Michigan had been asking for prayer for me the Sunday before this this doctor's appointment. The Sunday before this happened, she had asked for prayer for me in my in her Sunday school room. A woman there was like, I think she needs to know about this. Gave her a brochure to this hospital that's in Michigan, 12 hours away. Wow. My aunt mailed that brochure to my parents that week. The week I had decided to kill myself. The next day, that night, God had told me to hold on one more night. Oh, Becky. The next day, they drove this brochure to our, my house and was like, we don't know if this will help, but we want you just to see it. Mm-hmm. And it was this this hospital that takes women who have severe postpartum conditions mm-hmm. that has a nursery where you can take your baby with you. Um, and they have like a nursery attendant that you can go and you get like, um, you see a psychiatrist, you have individual counseling, group counseling, you can come and stay as long as you need. Um, you can do inpatient, you can do inpatient or outpatient where like I would come for like, what, like eight hours of the day and then I could go home. So I, we decided that day that we were going to go, um, then like I think it was like either 24 or 48 hours after that we were like in the car on the way to Michigan um and we drove through the night Juan slept through the night I slept I took my medicine in the car Anthony drove I think I slept two hours um but it was like I had this hope um and and at this point are you piecing together what you just told us like this is God's intervention or yes and no you're not quite able to see that yet it was like I could see it but I still had this like mountain of fear on my back um and I remember when I went when I went there um oh and my aunt has this apartment on the side of her house that someone had just moved out of that my husband and I and and Juan were able to stay in. They were a 30-minute drive from this hospital. Like, the Lord worked things out in a way that I can only give him the glory and only give him the credit. Um, Because I can pinpoint that time and say, that saved my life. Yes. Um, That was Jesus. Like, nothing in my strength or my power or anything could have arranged that. Only Jesus could have done that. And so I went there, and I met with the social worker who, like, where we did the paperwork, and she was like, I feel like you're just barely able to hope. And I was like, that's it. Like, I have been looking for hope this whole time. And the whole time, the whole four months, like, God would put people in my life of, like, to give me, like, a word or a a song or a meal or a message from from church that was like this this piece this string of like hope have hope and I was like I don't know how I can hold on to that right now but I know that's what you're telling me but I don't know how to hold on to it right now 
but I had to, like, I, I had, like, I could only get through the day if I spent time with him, like, I could only make it through one day at a time if, like, he gave me something to hold on to, mm-hmm. and so when she said that word hope, I was like, that's what he's been telling me this whole time, and I've been scared to hold on to hope because I've been scared that it's not gonna work out, and I'm not gonna make it, and I'm not gonna be there for my son, and that was my whole fear the whole time, I was like, I'm not, I wasn't worried about my life as much as, like, I didn't want him to grow up without a mom. Um, and I was so sure that that, that was going to be the case. And I felt so much fear. Like, at any moment I stopped sleeping, I remember telling a doctor, like, I can't go more than 48 hours without becoming so suicidal. Like, I can't go more than 48 hours without sleep. Like, I, that is my breaking point when I am getting all this little tiny bits of sleep in between like if it was sandwiched between eight hours of sleep and mm-hmm. eight hours of sleep I could survive 48 hours I was like, right. but I can't go 48 hours when it's sandwiched between two hours of sleep and three hours of sleep mm-hmm. like that doesn't I can't do it and um so anyway so they got me and they were like yes for sure you know we're gonna take you and um I remember that when I met with a psychiatrist the the first thing she said to me after, like, I had told her my story was, like, I'm worried that you're not sleeping, and we need to get you sleeping. And I felt this, like, weight come off my shoulders. Finally, somebody gets it. Yeah. And she was, like, these other issues, the anxiety, the depression, we need to handle those, but the first thing we need to do is we need to get you sleeping. Yes. And I felt like this, like this breath like I could take a breath and um they prescribed me something and that that night um I think I got seven hours of sleep and I woke up and 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 Juan was like he was nursing he was in this like sleep regression phase he was waking up like four or five times a night would not take a bottle I woke up it was either four or five times that night but I was able to get back to sleep every single time I got seven hours of sleep and I woke up like I felt like a million bucks, like, oh (laughs) my goodness, like, I felt amazing, Wow! and then the second night, I got eight hours of sleep, and it was, like, all of a sudden, like, like, I, like, this, this hope, I was, like, okay, I can hold on, yeah, I can, I can fight this, I can hold on, and I still had anxiety, and that was rough, I still had fear, I still had depression, and that was rough, um, but the sleep piece I could, being, getting sleep, I was able to tackle it in such a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that process of, of like struggling with anxiety, that's, um, that's something that I, I still wrestle with today. Um, and I, I, I don't know, someone asked me recently, like, well, when does like postpartum depression end and like, and, and that's that's like different for for everyone um a lot of people think like six to nine months or like a year and I don't really know like when postpartum depression ended um because I've had this ongoing struggle with anxiety um but and I have asked the Lord so many times please take this from me please take this from me um but I started asking like don't take it from me if I'm going to lose my intimacy with you. Um, wow. Because I had gotten to a point over those four months where it was like, like, have you, have you heard the analogy of like the shepherd that has the lamb that runs away and he like breaks the lamb's leg mm-hmm. and puts him around his neck mm-hmm. while the lamb's leg is healing so that he learns to stay close to the shepherd. Like I felt like that was what those four months were of like he broke my leg and I was I could not walk without him I could not make it a day without him um every day I was I was wrestling with suicidal thoughts and like and this desire just to end it this this never-ending desire just to end it and end the suffering but he kept giving me like a word he kept giving me a song he kept giving me something somebody to speak into my life um and it knit it knit me to him in a way that 
I was like, I don't want to lose this intimacy with you. Mm-hmm. Because if you allow this so that I could be intimate with you, then it's worth it. Because, like, feeling the presence of the Lord and seeing Him come through, seeing His miracles, seeing Him on a day-to-day basis, experiencing that presence, like, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced. And, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. I would and I wouldn't change it. That's incredible to me that you can even say that. Because when I've gone through some periods like that, I don't know that I could say I'd do it all again, you know? And I, I think it's amazing that the, the intimacy that you have felt, you have, you've truly felt like it's been worth it. I think it's one of those things that, like, it took me from being, like, someone that that loved the Lord, but I didn't really need Him. I was healthy. Um, I was strong. I, like, used to run 5Ks. I ran a half marathon. I was, I ate really healthy. I would juice like all of these things I was strong um so you felt pretty independent I was independent yeah Mm. like so this was your your severe mercy your your journey from independence to yeah and so I guess in that of just like it, it is better for me to be broken in this world and know that I need a savior and and walk with his presence and learn to hear his voice. Because that was another thing was that like, I learned to hear his voice in a way I'd never learned to hear his voice before. Um, things that, things that became like not, not audible, but these, these echoes, these whispers, like, um, and you knew it was him. And I knew it was him. Mm. And it was like, he knew how great my need was and so he was giving them to me all the time um oh that's beautiful and and to this day it is still like that and Mm. and I I still struggle with anxiety and have these moments of like real fear and when I listen to the voice of fear I spiral down very dark very quickly and you would you you would if you heard my thoughts when I'm in that place of fear and listening to that voice, mm-hmm. you would say, this is not the same person as what I'm saying right now. Sitting here before me. Truly. Because it was like this, it is, it is this choice over and over again of like, mm. do I, do I let the spiral go down and listen to that voice or do I like choose God's voice? And I, and, and it, and it's a day, it's a day to day wrestle because I, I have, I struggle with intrusive thoughts. Um, on a day-to-day basis, I still have fears that something's going to happen to my son. Mm-hmm. I have fears that something's going to happen to my family. I have, I, I deal with a lot of fear, and, and um, I think there's a lot of components to that. Um, it is, it is psychological. It is chemical. It is um, spiritual. I, I believe that the Lord has taught me there is a very real spiritual battle. Um, Satan is real and he attacks us. Um, I believe that um, diet makes a difference. There's it, It's this huge picture of all these things. It's not just one thing I've realized. Um, but... Um, can, can I ask you while you're while you're gathering your thoughts um, so you you are how many months now post birth okay Juan is three and a half three and a half okay yeah. so you feel like although the anxiety persists mm-hmm. the postpartum depression has lifted or do you feel like you're still there I would say. I would say that I can see like these these timelines where like I took a, a huge step like I took a big step um, at that four month mark mm. um, so it feels like you're kind of 
I don't want to say climbing because in a lot of ways your story yeah. is you're being carried, but you're yeah. you're coming out of a pit, and it and it's having some markers yeah. that you see toward improvement. I would say like it, I feel like it gets a little bit easier as time goes on, um, but a lot of that has had to do with like finding the right doctor, um, finding the right foods, um, trying to be healthy in all the ways that I can be healthy sleep hygiene and you're doing a holistic yeah on on every level yeah um becky i'm sure through this process you've met now and probably talked to many other moms who've gone through some form of postpartum depression how does your story um similar or different to the stories that you hear out there i'm curious yeah i I would say that in my the, the neurological sleep disorder is different, and that's not as common. But similar in that a lot of moms, especially with postpartum depression and anxiety, have sleep issues, significant and severe sleep issues, mm-hmm. where their sleep is impacted, and they might have a child that um, isn't isn't eating well or is colicky, and that impacts their sleep. Right. Um, it might not be their body as much as it is having a newborn baby or it could be um anxiety like anxiety robs you of sleep um in so many ways um and what I tell people is like yeah speak speak a word to to moms out there who might be going through this sometimes I'll share my story and they're like well my sleep is bad but not as bad as yours and I'm like bad sleep is bad sleep Mm -hmm. like the bad sleep that you're describing is is bad sleep and that is enough to rock you um and i would just say that like what you're going through is is so hard the anxiety and depression piece alone that alone was so hard um and finding finding the right the right doctors and finding people um makes a huge difference and also, like, that we can't, we can't carry this alone. Like, um, like I needed Jesus in that moment. I, I, I need him every day. But he was the one that helped, 